the passage that was <clears throat> read to us. It's a very a popular story. Um, many commentators believe because Jesus did mention two cities that it, in fact, was a real story. Um, and he was enacting a real story. It was quite uh, common for this road to be called a dangerous road, the one from Jerusalem to Jericho. And uh, many, many people probably ended up in the same state that uh, this uh, poor guy ended up in. And so uh, Jesus used that story uh, to expound some incredible truth in this, uh, in this passage. So before we start, we'll just ask the Lord to help us, and uh, then we'll get straight into it. Lord, we thank you for this evening. We, again, Lord, are a needy people. We just stand here, Lord, uh, Except for your power, we, we will be nothing. So, Lord, we ask you one more time, visit us, help us, help these dear people. Help me as, Lord, I try to explain some of the truths in your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I guess uh, the title of this message would be, Who is My Neighbor? Who is my neighbor? A question that was asked by this smart young lawyer. Um, there were two uh, young men who came to Jesus and asked very similar questions. And they both asked the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Both were good men. Um, the other <clears throat> passage was about the young ruler. You know that story found in Luke 18. And verse 22, where he came and asked exactly the same thing. And Jesus almost gives the same answer to both of them. He says, have you uh, kept the law? And um, they say, yeah, we have. And uh, in both instances, Jesus highlighted a particular important trait that they needed to do and both had to do with loving your neighbor. You would have noticed also in your reading of the Bible that uh, when people asked Jesus what were the two greatest commandments or what was the greatest commandment, and we know that God gave ten commandments in the Old Testament and they asked him, well, what is the greatest one? Surely you can pick one of the ten and tell us that it was the greatest commandment. And Jesus said, love the Lord thy God with all thy soul with all thy heart, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, on these two commandments have hang all the other commandments. And if you examine the commandments closely, the first four commandments have things to do with loving God, have no other gods before me, have no other idol, etc. And the last six from uh, commandment five through to ten deals with our relationship with one another. So even way back when God gave the commandments to Moses was embedded in it, the heart of God. And the heart of God, brethren, never changes. Whether it's in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, God gives us the same message. And so when these men would come, the learned leaders of the Jewish tradition would come and ask the question, Jesus would say, these are the two big commandments. 
Funnily, they were quite okay with the first one, or they thought they were okay with the first one, which was loving God, because they had all these um, <clears throat> rituals, ceremony to worship God, and they would, um, they thought that they were worshiping God correctly. But the second one, which was about loving your neighbor, was a little bit more difficult. It was a known fact that the Jews hated the Samaritans. And so for them, a neighbor would mean a fellow Jew, someone who they could embrace and love and give their affection to. And one of the greatest lessons that come out of this story is that Jesus cleared up their wrong thinking on who a neighbor is. And I think we living in a modern age sometimes also have confusion in our minds about who our neighbor is. And so tonight we're going to look through this passage and I'm going to look at it slightly differently. You all know the story, so you're not going to perhaps dwell too much on the story, but look on this aspect of who is my neighbor. So to help us do that, I want to just read some other scripture to you, and it might be extremely helpful if you do turn to these passages and read along with me, lest you think that I am making them up. I'm sure you don't think that, but... Okay, the first one is John chapter 13 and verse 34. John 13 and 34. Now, this is Jesus speaking a few uh, weeks before his going to the cross. So, I guess whatever he said in these last few moments that he was on earth was extremely important. Not that the other things he said wasn't important, but this was... He was like emphasizing this with special emphasis. And this is what he said. A new commandment I give unto you. Well, is this commandment number 11? Let's read on. That ye love one another as I have loved you. That ye also love one another. So what did Jesus say? We have to love one another. Who is the one another? Your neighbor. So Jesus was re-emphasizing this very important commandment about loving one another. Now turn with me to 1 John, which is towards the end of the book, uh, end of the Bible. Uh, 1 John. And I'm going to read a few passages here, or a few verses here. 1 John 2 and verse 10. I want to keep these verses in your mind as context as we go through tonight's study because it's extremely important that you understand the heart of God in this matter. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 10. He that loveth his brother abideth in, say the next word, light. And there is no occasion or none occasion of stumbling in him. Verse 11 says this, but he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness has blinded his eyes. So what that verse is saying is if you don't love your brother, 
What fills your heart and your soul? Darkness. And your eyes cannot see. And you stumble along in life. That's what those two verses are basically saying. Read another verse. One, flick the page. 1 John 3 verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Pretty strong words. Death, darkness. But he who loveth abideth in light. Verse 17 of 1 John chapter 3 says this, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother hath need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? So what that verse is saying is, if you see a brother in need, and you shut up your goods that God has given you, the question is asked, how dwelleth the love of God in you? So when you don't love your neighbor, when you don't love one another, you abide in death, you abide in darkness, you lead a loveless life. And you know how horrible that can be when you live a loveless life. And so this is the context in which we look at this story that Jesus told about the Good Samaritan, as the story is called, or um, popularly known as the Good Samaritan story. And so when he asked Jesus the question, Jesus said, how readest thou? And he says, yes, Lord, I know. These are the two commandments. And verse 28 says, Jesus said, thou hast answered right. This do and thou shalt live. Very simple, isn't it? This do and thou shalt live. Now, I guess if this man turned away at that point and said, well, I got my answer, I better go, I love my God, and I do a few things to my people, he, uh, he probably would have gone away thinking, I'm on the way to heaven. But something was bugging him, something was bothering him. So it says that he was willing to justify himself, or he... He wanted to get, be really sure what Jesus meant by this. So he asked that question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus must have said, I'm glad you asked. Because he gave us a story forever for all of us to remember about who my neighbor is. And he said that a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Story tells us that this man was on a journey. This road admittedly was a dangerous road with many adversaries and many troubles. And it tells us that we have a journey or we have a race to run. We have a course that we must complete. The Apostle Paul said, I have, at the end of his life, I have finished my course. 
And as you journey this road, if you're not saved today, you're on a road where you're brushing shoulders with uh, lots of unsaved people, with evil influences, far away from God. And uh, you're, you're, you'll be in a very dire strait as you walk that broad road. But you could be someone who is saved and, you know, who accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Jesus himself said, narrow is the road that leads to life and few are there that find it. And you may find yourself on this narrow road. Now have no misapprehension that some people think that once you get on the narrow road that you don't face any problems. In fact, the problems intensify as you get on the narrow road. Because the devil is out to disengage you and to make life hard for you. He'll bring several doubts into your mind. He'll bring stuff before you that you've got to deal with. And if your foundation in God is not strong, you could wander away and do things that are not godly at all. So we're all on a road somewhere. And on this road, you will encounter people who are wounded, who are doing it tough, who are going through some issues in their life. And so as you walk this road, God's saying to us, look out for your neighbor. Lord, who is my neighbor? He said, I'm going to tell you who, my, who your neighbor is. But on this journey, on this road, you will find someone that is in need of help. And often it will be a stranger. Now this man who fell amongst thieves wasn't known to the high priest or to the Levite. He was a stranger. He was a complete stranger. There could be many strangers walking these streets. And we as saved people, as we walk down the street and we see someone who is hurting, how do you respond to that? Well, he's not from our church, so we can let someone else take care of him. It's not my duty to take care of him. He doesn't belong to us, so we, we don't have a responsibility. It's not under my jurisdiction, so I don't want to take care of him. I'll come back to that at the end of my talk about the jurisdiction part, but when you see a need, you ought to help. And I have to say, Australia as a country is a marvelous country. That when there is an international need, we give. When there's a flood somewhere, we give. We open up our wallets and we give. When a family is struggling somewhere, lost members of their family, and there's an appeal put out, we give. I believe that's one reason God's blessing is still on this nation, because we are a giving nation. America used to be a giving nation, but they've stopped giving. And so it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to help someone who is in need. Satan attacks those unwary souls who walk on this road. He strips them naked, and the Bible says that he leaves them dead in trespasses and sins. 
as he attacks their spiritual life with God and leaves them dead. But thank God that Jesus Christ, we'll see later on, comes along and rescues that soul from death and brings him through to life. All are on a journey somewhere. On which road are you? How many people have you passed lately? How many have had a look in their eyes saying, please help me? And how many times have you walked by and said, let somebody else take care of them? Pastor spoke to us last Sunday, I believe, on laying up treasure in heaven. I believe one way that opportunities will come before you is to help people in need. And boy, your treasure in heaven will grow exponentially. There are few who would be willing to help. And this story brings that out. The very people who you would expect to help this poor man walk by him. One was a priest. A priest would represent matters of man before God. He should be the one who understands the suffering of those who are wounded and who are laying half dead on the roadside. And he is the one who should take it before the throne of God and pray on behalf of that person to God and ask for God's mercy. But this man was more interested in hastening to an appointment in Jerusalem. I wonder whether he ever connected with God that day. As he went and went through his ritual in that temple. Maybe his sacrifices are of no effect. We could come to church and perform all we want. But if our heart of Jesus is not within us, then it's of little use. The Levite went one step better. He at least crossed the road and had a look. Mind you, his responsibility probably is greater. He saw the extent of the injury. At least the priest might have thought, I thought he was drunk and so I just walked on. But the Levite actually went and had a good look. Saw the bruises. Saw the cuts. Saw the bumps on this man's head and his body. Saw the clothes torn, probably shivering from the cold of the night. And again, just passed by. Sometimes hearts can become hardened by our routine and our administrative requirements. You know, I, I, I think no matter how hard it is in this day and age that we are, so much is demanded of us and I'm not minimizing that at all. 
when there's a need, is there a delight in us to put everything aside and maybe take half a day leave from our workplace and go and meet that need? Do we see interruptions of schedules as an impossibility to help somebody? There's no compassion or the heart of God. The Bible records that Jesus, when he moved around on the earth, was constantly moved with compassion. He'd be going from one village to another to preach. Yes, you heard me right, he was going to preach the word of God. But he would see a need and he would stop. The widow of Nain was crying and lost her only son. Jesus just stopped the whole procession and brought that boy back to life. What a joyous occasion in that dear widow's life that day. The love, the compassion of Christ shone through. Oh, do we have the heart of God? Do we care for the hurting? The two who should have succeeded failed. I sometimes think of this as, you know, how you get, uh, I think it is in Merchant of Venice, was it? I can't remember, but he had to choose three caskets and you try to choose the shiniest one because you think the price is in there, but, you know, the price is in the most ugly looking casket. And the two who should have passed failed. And the third person who should have failed comes along. He's a Samaritan. Oh, Samaritan. Oh, poof, boy. We hate the Jews. So he would have been perfectly justified because these guys were getting kicked. Their bums were getting kicked every day. They were being abused. They were being called names. So he would have been well within his rights, this Samaritan, to, oh, he's a Jew, enemy, walk by. The Bible records one of the most tender moments in this story. Verse 33 says, But a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. I don't know whether this Samaritan was saved. I, I don't think so. There's a Samaritan, believed in Jacob, believed in Jacob's well, worshipped on Mount Gerizim, gave sacrifices there. Maybe he had a form of godliness, but he had compassion on him. A question, I mean, should God's people have greater compassion in the world? Is that a fair question to ask? Should we in this place have greater compassion? Should God's spirit so impel us that we should walk as he showed us how to walk? But yet, I believe there are many Samaritans out there doing far greater work than us here. I admire churches who have massive ministries of compassion. 
Sometimes we criticize them because of their other doctrines. But I say, let God be the judge on that final day. Some of them are doing a tremendous work. They've rescued thousands of souls, incapable of helping themselves to find a life. They've given hope to thousands of orphans who've lost their parents in civil wars and stuff like that. My brother who lives in Canada, he, God put this compassion in his heart. And for those of you who know, but my country went through a 35-year civil war where the people in the north got butchered by army after army. And many of these families were left without their young sons and their fathers. Some mothers left with orphan daughters who had no hope of living. When peace was eventually given, they were hastily herded into an enclosure with barbed wire the height of probably this roof and given a thatched roof with no side covering. Now these are all women and daughters. And they were given bush toilets where 100 people had to share one toilet. The women had no place to wash themselves privately. And all the soldiers would stand and leer at them as they would try to wash themselves. The place was infested with poisonous snakes. And many daughters who had survived the war lost their lives as snakes bit them in the night as they tried to sleep. And it was a common sight to see mothers burying their daughters through snake bite. Snake bite venom was available, but was not given. Because, frankly, people wanted these people to die. And so my brother got together and with some people, and he determined to go into this camp and to share the love of Jesus. And he said to me, the first question one of these ladies asked him, you say your God is a loving God. How can he permit this? Show me how he loves and then maybe we'll listen to you. My brother with tears in his eyes, he said he was quite silenced. He couldn't say anything. He had seen the suffering. And so in his first trip, there was not much that took place. But he just cried with them. He sat with them. He ate what they ate. He was determined to go a second time. So a year later, he went back again. And he went through the same process. He had to get five permits to get into that camp. 
Such was the rigorous uh, regulation about getting into that camp. But so he did. The third time he went, he said to me, why don't you come with me? Perhaps we can do something together. But I was more concerned about enjoying myself. I was in the country, in a beautiful resort, which had beautiful blue swimming pools, 100 meters long, and enjoying myself while he went and cared for these people. He gave them what he could. Today, those, there are about three to four churches that have come as a result of his constant ministry. Been our joy to fund some of the building of those little churches. And these people, because of the love and care and compassion shown to them, now worship a living God. I wonder what would have happened if my brother like me walked on and said, it's your problem, not my problem. I wonder how many more would have come had I been part of that journey. I'll never know, but perhaps on that day, God may point that out to me as a severe lack in what I did not do. The Samaritan saw him and had compassion on him. How we view people will determine our compassion for them. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. As a sacrifice for the wounded, those dying because of sin, and he gave his life as a sacrifice so that they might have eternal life. And what a wonderful savior our Jesus is. The Bible says that we have a high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmity. It defines the heart of Jesus. He is touched. Every time you're hurt, he is touched. You can be sure that the Bible tells you that. And you can go and ask God, cry out to God. God hears the cries of widows. He seems to have a sharper ear for the cry of a widow than anybody else. Cry out to him. And he will be there waiting to help you. This Samaritan was also ready and willing and able to meet the need. He carried with him oil and wine. Not usual for people going on a journey to be carrying oil and wine, but it tells me that he probably had rescued many a stranger in times past. So as he journeyed on this road, he was well equipped. He came with oil and wine. The Bible says that oil is a representation of the Holy Spirit. And when we are, become Christians, we know that the Spirit of God lives within us and he fills us. And when he fills us 
and his grace flows out of us, we are in a great position to help people because God has given us that great resource within us. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. The stripes of sin were healed by Jesus with his stripes. I wonder if there's anyone here who's been on this road and never known Jesus Christ and you've been wounded by the devil and you're lying there half dead, stripped of all your self-worth. Today Jesus is saying to you that I have died for you. I am that good Samaritan. I can give you that Holy Spirit. I can give you that oil. Will you accept me as your savior? Maybe some of you have pondered that and never done it. Why not tonight that you give your life to God and allow that soothing oil to take effect on your life, to rescue you, to recover you, to give you a revival in your life. Wine was usually used for, as a dis disinfectant and oil was used for soothing or the healing process for that wound. So he came prepared. And I like this next part, what he did. He puts the man on his own beast. And he walks beside the beast. What a sacrifice that Jesus did. He didn't say, well, come, I'll just help you along the way. You just, I'll string you along. No, no, no. He was too hurt. He couldn't do that. So he actually got off his, the animal he was traveling on. And he put this man on his own beast. And he walks alongside, holding the beast. And just making sure he doesn't fall off the beast. I don't know the distance he had to travel from there to this place called the inn, the recovery place. But he took him to this place called the inn. He had the wine and the oil. Put him on his own beast. He walks beside you. He takes you to a safe place. What a wonderful picture of a savior who loves you and has compassion for you. No wonder when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I hope this picture, this image just fills your mind. He's always there. He's holding that beast. When you couldn't walk, when you got wounded beyond what you could bear, he was there. He put you on his beast. The Holy Spirit of God just sustained you through that period as he took you to a safe place. I was quite curious about the inn. In fact, in the Old Testament, there were places called the cities of refuge that people could go to. Those who had committed manslaughter and, 
uh, were running away, before the people caught and killed them, they would be able to go into these cities of refuge and await a fair hearing, a fair trial. This inn represents a safe place. It's a place of recovery. And on this road of danger, there is an inn. Perhaps there are several inns. And I don't think you need to guess what the inn is. The inn is a place where people can come and find rest and restoration. Folks, this is number 185, Old Northern Road is an inn. Yes, it is an inn. Those wanderers out there, those wounded ones, should be brought in and should be given healthy care. Not Medicare, but healthy care. Care from the word of God so that their wounds could be healed. Is this place an inn that people could come in? They could rest? Or have you become so concerned with programs and other things that the main focus of Jesus' story about an inn has been lost. I wonder, are you an innkeeper? Your house could become an inn. And some of you have wonderfully over the years treated your house as an inn. Many hurting people have come to your house and found rest. I can see across this room, I see your faces. Great will your reward be in heaven because you've provided help for the hurting in times of need. I said to my wife that no matter how busy we are, no matter how untidy our house is, sometimes that house gets a bit untidy. There's soccer stuff and all kinds of stuff all over the place. I said, if there is a need, they are coming into our house. No matter how hard it is, but they will be coming in to our house. Is your home an inn where people can come and not hear criticisms about the church or criticism about some other people, but receive that soothing balm of the Holy Spirit? Does it emanate from you? Does the fullness of God come out from you? Do people sense your love for them? Every touch, every word spoken, every look given. Can it be seen? He is my hiding place. I believe God abides there. Place of shelter, rest and recovery. And then he says to this man, this innkeeper, look after him. Verse 35 says this. He gave two pence and I think in, in, in the currency of that time, this is not Bitcoin, but it is two pence. He gave them, it was quite a lot of money. Take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. 
a good Samaritan not only took him to the inn but and doesn't abandon us there. He says, I'm going to come back. Why does he come back? Why does the good Samaritan come back? Because he finds another wounded person to bring back. So he's on his journey up and down this road looking for wounded people. When I come back, I'm coming back. And probably this innkeeper knew him really well, so he was happy to extend credit to the Good Samaritan. So I'm coming back. I'm going to bring one more. I'm going to bring another one. I like this thought that says, when I, I will repay thee when I come again. Doesn't that tell you something about the Lord himself coming back for you? I'm coming again. And when I come again, what is he going to do? I'm going to repay you. So all the labor you're putting in for God today, all the souls you've helped, all the wounded and weary you have helped, he's going to repay you. That's God's word. How much more motivation that should give us to serve God the way he wants us to serve him. So who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Anybody who is hurting. Anybody who is half dead. Anybody who is marginalized. Who wouldn't talk, nobody talks to. Sometimes people come here on a Sunday morning waiting to talk to somebody and nobody would talk to them. You might say, well, they should open their mouth and ask to be talked to. Well, you know what I'm saying. When people are hurting and in that situation, it's very hard for them to ask for help. May God give you the spirit to discern and to ask, to go out. May we become such a vibrant church. I just, I just feel in my heart, you know, we've kind of lost something. I don't know what it is, but praise God. God is a God who can recover and restore and give us that passion again for the lost, for the hurting, for those who need help. It doesn't stop within the boundaries of these four walls, but it could be in your workplace. It could be in your neighborhood. It could be on your playing field. There are people who are hurting who need help. And you're the one who can tell them about Jesus. You're the one who has got the Spirit of God within you. You've got the fullness of God sustaining you. Let it flow out. Let the fragrance of Christ flow out. And as you walk that road, up and down, keep your eyes and your heart open. And God would say, there's a, there's a neighbor. We are loving. Love one another. There'll be no darkness, no death, but the love of Christ will abide in you and the light will shine in your heart. And you'll see clearly, you'll have a single vision for the things of God.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight. Oh God, I, 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 this message was for me because I, I've been such a selfish guy. Help me, Lord. Help anyone here who thou hast spoken to. May they have a great future in bringing others to Christ, in helping the wounded. In Jesus' precious name, amen.